Hey friends, thanks for joining me, Jim Baroud, to hear a few insights from leaders who represent our innovation ecosystem. Today's chat is with Stacy Ross-Cohen, the president and CEO of Co-Communications and the author of Brand Up. My background is I was born into, like you, a very entrepreneurial family. And I started my first business when I was 14. And, um, you know, when, and, and you can attest to this when you have parents and it was actually both my mom and dad that started several businesses, it, it just, it came so naturally. It was, and, and I also think, you know, there's certain traits that go with entrepreneurship, you know, just taking risks and not being afraid to fail. And so, um, after college, I, um, I, spent some time at an ad agency and then I worked at CBS. And then when I was at CBS, actually went back to get my MBA in in marketing. But honestly, the corporate world was just never for me, you know, and and it was, it just, I don't have to tell you, you know, there's a certain amount of uh, red tape, if you will, and to get things done. And um, I, I knew that I was ready to launch my business, which I did um, when my girls were young. I started to freelance at first through marketing agencies. And at that point I was like, I know that I can do this better. So co-communications was born. And a lot of people will say, oh, you named your agency after your last name, Cohen. But it's not true. If you think about the Latin derivative, co, it means with and collaboration. And that's the kind of PR marketing agency that I've created. And so our client base is very diverse. A lot of real estate, education, nonprofit, professional services, economic development. And you will actually appreciate this, Jim. You see the picture behind me? So I would say one of our biggest achievements was we handled the communication campaign for rebuilding the Tappan Zee Bridge, which was an 18 month campaign, very issue related and um, and really, really meaningful. It was, it was, um, 24 seven for a while, but really meaningful. And, and who, that's the great part of being an entrepreneur who would ever have dreamed that I would know so much about building bridges. So if you ever have any questions about bridges, you know who to come to. Well, you know what you say that and it's gorgeous bridge in the background, but most people, many people don't know where it is. So why don't you explain where it is and why it was such an important project? So the, the bridge uh, is uh, from Westchester County to Rockland County. Uh, and the bridge was built during the Korean War and meant to last for 50 years. The bridge was going on probably close to 75 years, I believe. And it was, it was, it was not built, built out of the type of materials that they use today to make it Durable, let's just say. So there were a lot of band-aids put on the bridge. Now, when when any of these infrastructure projects are complete, it takes an army. There's so many different stakeholders. There's there's of course you know the the governor's office. Um, our direct client was the Construction Industry Council. There's all of these special interest groups. There are um, 
environmental groups, business groups. And, and it's almost, you know, I used to say in this business, what I'm doing that you needed eyes in the front and the back of your head, but this was a particular project that you needed sensors like all over because you had to listen to the constant chatter and make sure that you were um, getting out timely, accurate content on a regular basis. And of course we had press conferences on the Rockland side, on the Westchester side, and lots of engagement. Uh, we turned on the social media channels. Uh, we even, uh, for the contractors, because again, this was also partly economic development, putting people back to work, particularly in the construction trades. So even doing the types of things like having the construction workers like standing at the side of the bridge with big signs that said, beep if you want a new bridge. So it's very um, incredible, incredible project. And um, I'll never forget driving over it for the, for the first time. You know, I just welled up with emotion because it was, I like challenges, but you know, again, this was probably one of the most interesting, challenging, um, pro you know, projects which just required everything that an entrepreneur is, right? Grit, getting out of your comfort zone, stretching, being nimble, and, and also just being very open to, to learn throughout the entire process. I'm so glad you uh, talked us through that because most people just think, okay, you're promoting a bridge. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so multifaceted, so many issues, so many communication, you know, obstacles and, and people, different groups of people to uh, to message to. Right. It's really um, it's really, really, I guess, when people when you think about it, as you explain it, it's really uh, fundamentally a very complex initiative that you you obviously succeeded in. But, um, you know, it's not just a bridge right? Uh, however beautiful it looks, there's so much history and so much work behind it. All right. that So I don't want to drag, digress too much, but I'm glad we spoke about that. So your corporate journey, okay, take us through that. You were, so you started when you were young and you've, you've managed this for how long now? So um, co-communications just turned 25 last year. So yeah, so I started the company in 1998, and um, yeah, it's it's I I, you know, it I started it with with no lofty dreams, just to do it better than with agencies I had worked with because I felt the need to work directly with the client. There is one project in particular. I was working with an agency in New Haven, Connecticut, and he had assigned a, an annual report for a company going public. It was a bioscience company. And he said, you know, I want you to write the annual report and you'll work with our designer. And I said, that's fine. I said, but can I speak to the CEO? This company is going public. I need to get their essence. And he said, no. He said, we do not let any of our independent contractors speak directly to our clients. So any questions you have feed through me. And at that point it was, it was just, it was an aha moment because I said, I can do this better. I need to work directly with the client. And this is not 
communications is, is about the exchange of ideas. And some of them are, are thrown out. Some of them are enhanced, but it's the exchange of ideas and, and you need to speak directly to, to the source rather than getting third party information. Right. That's really illuminating. Uh, Stacy, what other lessons have you learned over the years? I'm sure you have a few nuggets there to call out. So my mantra, and, and you'll agree with this also, because I know you have that very innovative mindset. My mantra, which I've been sharing with um, the people that I mentor, uh, my clients, um, my staff, is that you've heard the saying, if you keep doing the same thing, you'll get the same result. And we, what we saw in COVID, if you keep doing the same thing, you're gonna be stuck in reverse. So I tell everyone that the, new, the true new competitive advantage is about innovation and change. And look, I understand I have like, I have that high risk level, you know, level for change. For, I love change, you know, I thrive on change, but not everybody does. So it's really important to, which leads me into another lesson, is to, to really understand the importance of, of, you know, really figuring out how you can always be one step ahead, but also each and every one of us has to take accountability and be responsible for manufacturing our own opportunities. Nobody is going to do it. And so with, with that, it's you've got to just eliminate these two words. I can't. And my staff, for example, they know that the two words they, they sh should not say in front of me is I can't. And I always tell them I want them to be problem solvers, not problem spotters. Because it's all too easy to whine about a problem. But, you know, again, become become a problem solver. And so that is, I think, a really important lesson. Um, and and it's, it's just about taking ownership, right? Taking ownership in whatever you do. Yeah, no, those are, those are great words of wisdom, frankly. And, and especially in this time of uncertainty, right? You need to be adaptable, have agility, right? And obviously you've gone through lots of ups and downs. Obviously you lived through 9-11 and all that. So, uh, and then obviously financial crisis, 2008, I'm sure things were up and down over the years. Uh, and clearly your ability to adapt, uh, has helped you, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. 9-11, 2008, 2000, you know, yes. And, and it's, and, and then COVID of course, because COVID was the, that other situation where some of our clients dialed down. Uh, you know, especially like one of our largest clients is is a theater um, where we are in effect their marketing department. There were no shows, so it's like, how do you navigate this this new world? And and how do you, you know, I, I think when you put put yourself and your pain in the background and just focus on always doing the best things for for your clients, it just, we, we actually ended up doing better during COVID. We actually ended up doing better during COVID. We had two of our best years because we just 
we just did a lot of handholding and we just got our, our clients through uh, some, some very muddy waters. Yeah, no, I can imagine. Wow. Um, and so you've gone through uh, this great career and I saw a, a book there uh, and I'm really excited that you wrote this. And so tell us about, you know, why write a book? Books are hard. I've, I've done two. I know how hard they are. Tell us why you wrote a book. I have a, I have two girls. They're both in their 20s. And well, my older one was in high school. Very, very competitive school district. Like many school districts are. You know, I say there's a lot of school districts um, and you've heard the term helicopter parents. Like in many of these school districts, I call them like drone parents, you know? Or, or the new word is bulldozer parents. Yes, bulldo bulldozers is a great name. And it was... It's very uh, um, difficult as as a parent to navigate all this because my my parents never went to college, you know. It's like they they just they they were entrepreneurs. They worked. They they had a great work ethic which they gave to us. But I had an epiphany when when I saw my daughter going through the college admission process that she had to market herself to stand out from her peers. And I don't know what your school district is like, but a dozen kids that have 4.2 grade point averages, and they're all doing these incredible extracurricular activities. So fast forward a couple of years later, I, I knew I had a book in me, but I said, okay, let me start developing my platforms and developing content. So I started blogging for Huffington Post and it was specifically on, on personal branding. And it wasn't just for teenagers, but I was curious, like, are there any schools across the country that are teaching digital leadership? And there were all these stories that were coming out. One of them is that 75% not a story, but a fact, 75% of admission officers are using social media to make their college admission decision. The other one was, have you heard of the Harvard 10? No. So the Harvard 10, and my TEDx talk is based on this. The Harvard 10 is that in 2017, 10 kids got into Harvard. Now in 2017, the acceptance rate for Harvard was 4.6%. A lot of the colleges, especially the elite colleges, the acceptance rates are declining. Harvard's acceptance rate is now 3.2%. So 10 kids that were accepted to Harvard in 2017 formed a social media group and there were offensive Facebook posts. Got to the attention of Harvard administration all 10 of these kids, their admission were revoked. So one of my first articles for Huffington Post was are any high schools teaching about digital leadership. It's, it almost seemed like they were telling kids like my kids, oh, be careful of social media. When I felt like there's gotta be a way to teach kids how do you use leverage social media to your advantage. So I found one school in North Broward, Florida, and I wrote about it in the article. And Jason Schaefer got in contact with me who created the curriculum. 
and taught the class to ninth graders. And again, it was, it was made mandatory. Every ninth grader had to take this class. And then Alan Katzman from Social Assurity also got a hold of me. I was going to Florida on a trip and I called, um, you know, I, got, I became fast friends with, with both of them. We were all in the same mindset at the same time. And, and both of them, by the way, are contributors to the book. So with Jason, when, you know, we would talk often and I said, yeah, I'm coming to Florida. And he said, Stacy, I know this is just like a vacation, but would you send to my class? And I did. And I was blown away. At, at these 14 year olds and how they were telling their, their narratives at such a, a young age. Wrote about it for Huffington Post once I got back to New York, but this article went viral. Educational testing services contacted me and they wanted to buy worldwide rights to the article. And that's when I said, I have something here. And that's when the book journey began. And of course, you know, I'm a marketer. I'm not an educator, but that's when I approached both Jason Schaefer and Alan Katzman to become contributing authors. So the book is very interactive and all of the exercises Jason contributed. And there's a chapter on LinkedIn that Alan is like an expert in it that he contributed. And I tell all parents of teens and all teens that they must be on LinkedIn by the time they're 16. So when you are ready to hand over the car keys to your 16 year old daughter, you want her to be on LinkedIn. I love that. That makes so much sense. Absolutely. So, okay. So you ha- you, you're in this great collaboration teaching kids in Florida. Uh, and I agree a hundred percent. That's why I wanted to have you here because, uh, it's so important to understand branding, right? I mean, we, we all know the pitfalls of social media, but there are some positives and obviously LinkedIn and, and uh, building a positive image of your brand, right? is so important. And so, so talk to us a bit more about that as far as branding and social media and, and, you know, what, what are some of the things you talk about to young people? Sure. Well, there are really three, three steps, right? And I like to call it personal branding in 3D. So the first is is discovery. The second is development. And the third is delivery. The same principles, if you think about it, really apply to the marketing world, whether, you know, I'm marketing a product or a service. And a lot of people do not like the word. I, I just have to put something out there. A lot of people do not like the word personal branding. Like, I don't want to be perceived as like a commodity, but here's the thing. Personal branding is is not like this narcissistic thing. It's not like about me, me, me. It's about what is the value that you bring to the world. And if you ask a high school kid that question, because what that boils down to is that why is someone going to choose you? How do you stand out from others? And especially when you're in such a competitive cluttered and connected environment. So the first phase of discovery, you're really figuring out what your superpower is. Like, and you're, you're figuring out, you know, how, how do I stand out? Like, you know, again, what is the value that I can bring to land on the top of a decision maker's list? And it doesn't really matter if it's admissions officer or if you're going for a scholarship or you're interviewing for an internship, or later on in life when you're going for that coveted 
you know, interview at Google. So that's the first stage is, is discovery again. And it's something that, um, that we all tend to skip over because we want to go to the next shiny penny. Like, you know, kids generally will say, oh, I'm going to get on TikTok. But the second package is like your online portfolio is, is everything. And think about it. I don't know, have you heard the statistic that in, in an internet minute, there's almost 6 million Google searches. So Jim, someone is Googling you, someone is Googling me as we speak. So Google has become the new resume. So kids have to look at their digital footprint a little differently and understand that someone is searching for them. And, and we know this because Alan, who wrote the LinkedIn chapter and why we believe that LinkedIn is such an important asset for kids to assemble at the age of 16, we can tell who goes on the kids' LinkedIn. And it is admission officers. It could be if a kid's applying to Vanderbilt, the head of, of an engineering department. So LinkedIn is the most important social media channel for kids. But that's not to mean that if you're an artist, you should of course be on, on Pinterest or Instagram. And you know, you want to show the best that you have to offer. So developing those those solid online profiles. And the third is delivering. You know, you need, I always tell, and it doesn't matter what age you are, we're all our own news channel. So it's like telling teens how are they going to best get out there? And the rules of the college game have changed so much that it's not enough to um, just have a LinkedIn. You have to make sure that on all, you, all of your channels, you have to be engaging, following, um, networking, linking in with alumni of your dream school, um, the admissions officers, and then also, again, the chair of a particular uh, area that you want to major in. And so, again, I think the most important thing is, is that there's so much clutter out there. My mantra is, is add value, not clutter. So every, you have to be a master of first impressions. And this isn't just for teens. This is for all of us. You and I were just talking the average American attention span is eight seconds. So you've got to get your point across really quickly. So part of the book is I want to teach kids how to stand out and really be a master of first impressions and show their value. That is so prescient, right? Because um, that attention span is getting even shorter, right? And so it it, it really... Um, it demands a lot of pressure and a lot of thoughtfulness on the on the you know side of the kids, the young people to really make their message crisp and clean. Of course, after discovering what they want to get across, right? And so that's hard for adults, right? I it, mean, that's hard is. for me and you. I mean, it's hard it for is. me. I've been doing this forever, and it's still hard to yes, to, you know, get it so concise and be so um, crisp and get a point across in a few seconds. And it's, 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 it is, it's, it's very challenging. And a lot of parents, you know, have said, 
wow, you know, like, because there are a lot of universals in this book that I could easily reframe and will be reframing because it's meant to be a book series, kind of like chicken soup for the soul. I have a, a the next book is coming out for college age kids, early career. But I also want one for women re-entering the workforce because throughout my career, I have found that to be, um, I've always mentored women in, in business, starting businesses, professionals. And going back to what you said, it's really important. I, I, I can't emphasize this in, this enough. It's like at the same time, because this is what makes this more difficult. Like you you need to be authentic and intentional. I have spoken to hundreds of admission officers and educational consultants. They could smell a phony a mile away from, from the essay to the application to the admission interview. So, which is, which is a challenge, right? Because you want to, you want to be rehearsed to a certain degree, but also you can't be someone that you're not. But so that's why you need to go through this self audit, and really figure out what are your passions, you know, and because all of this will come through, whether it's a job interview, admissions, or even in a college essay. Yeah, no, that makes sense. But, and authenticity, as you say, is so important. Yet these days with all the tools right? You have to be careful what tools you use, if it's AI or chat GBT. And, you know, if, if you, you know, take advantage of them too much, that may you know, detract and you may be found out, uh, you know, about not being authentic. Is that, that must be even more of another dilemma that, you know, students and their parents have to be concerned about, right? Yes, 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 yes. And, and I think it's, it's also, you know, it's interesting because my 20 something year olds, they'll say to me, oh, I'm so glad that we didn't grow up during this time that we weren't in middle school or high school, because it's it's a tough world for kids to, to grow up in. And um, it's not even, you know, of course, I, I tell all kids that before they post anything, you know, to put it through this pure test and to. Um, you know, make sure they would not want this streaming across like a Times Square billboard. And I give them all these different tests, but it's true. It's really tough for them because there is a lot of peer pressure, but then they also have to worry about is one of their peers saying something negative? Because if that's the case, then you have to get in touch with them and ask them to untag you. So it's a very complicated um, college admission and also job interview process right now. And it's, it's like, I feel that we need to give teens the tools to just prepare them in the best way possible to make sure that they can achieve whatever goals they have. And it's not every kid's goal to go to an Ivy League school. It's I work with a lot of kids that may want to go into a trade like hairdressing or carpentry, or they want to start their own business. But I think when you follow your own life path, whatever that may be, it's like you will be able to be authentic 
but you also at the same time have to be intentional in terms of putting, you're going to laugh at this. You have to put your best digital footprint forward. Yeah, no, absolutely. And something you said there just brought me back. You know, we always talk about risk management for professionals, right? If uh, someone smears you or says something bad about you, you have to respond to it. So you have to be on social media just to respond. I didn't think about the fact that kids, mean kids, bullies can say something bad about you and you have to do something similar or else it will negatively affect you in the future. So that's sort of really scary <laughs> and eye-opening. Um but as you mentioned, obviously, about careers, right? You don't have to go to an Ivy League school. A lot of people are going to maybe not go to college, go to a trade school. And frankly, some of those jobs are the ones that are less likely to get sort of disrupted by, you know, technology and, and artificial intelligence. And, and that's fine. The other thing that we've been seeing is that kids will have, you know, 20 careers and have side hustles, you know, yes. and that's why, you know, as you know, I, entrepreneurship is near and dear to my heart. Um, and, you know, I've been uh, sort of an educated for many years uh, in my past and still am. Um, and so I'm so glad you included entrepreneurship in your book. And so talk to us a little bit, little bit about that, why you included it in your book. Great question. So as I had mentioned, Jason Schaefer, who I first had the privilege of meeting when he taught the personal branding class, he went on to um, teaching an entrepreneurship class also in Florida on entrepreneurship to middle school kids. And I've always known that there's certain traits that entrepreneurs have, like grit, creativity, um, passion, perseverance, that, that are important for everyone. So you don't necessarily have to, I think when, when people hear the word entrepreneur and they're like, oh, you want to start your own business, but that's not always the case. You could be, and I think the term that they use, you, you may know better, entrepreneur, like, you know, at some of these fortune 500 companies to have people that are, again, as I say, those problem solvers, those innovators, what company doesn't want an innovator? And those are entrepreneurial skills. The, the things that businesses that are hiring job recruiters want to hear is they want to hear all of those, those characteristics that you find in an entrepreneur. And, you know, those are the traits that I just mentioned, innovation, grit, determination, uh, leadership. And, and again, I think, I, I do think that entrepreneurship should be taught in the, in the middle school. Like some people have, have said, well, that's too young. And entrepreneurship isn't an inborn skill. I mean, I guess it rubbed off on me because both I saw both of my parents starting businesses and the talk around the dinner table is my father would show me his, a pencil with his new company logo on it. And that was our dinner conversation. But I think these skills are essential to allow teens to thrive in the world that, that we're living in today, where innovation, as I just said, is the new competitive advantage. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, that, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And, uh, it is sort of the entrepreneurial mindset 
is going to be important for everyone, whatever yes. it is, right? Now, even more so now than in the past, even more so now, uh, I think. Uh, and and it's, what's wonderful is that, you know, in our culture, we're so open to it. It's okay to start start something and it's okay to fail. It's, you know, you just get right back up. And these days, as you know, especially with, with COVID, all these side hustles, right? Whether it's an Etsy store or, or selling something, uh, you know, in your own e-commerce site or doing a, um, some type of service uh, really gain traction. So the reality is it's here to stay. And so absolutely. And you bring up a, a great point because, and this is something that, that we should discuss because it has, it's going back to the 4.2 GPAs and, and, you know, graduating a lot of kids that have 4.2 GPAs. So a college admissions officer, which by the way, they, they spend an average of 10 minutes per each application. So if they have two kids, both have, the same GPAs and test scores. And by the way, test scores are, are optional now in a lot of schools. Because again, schools are looking for, for these, these entrepreneurial, these leadership characteristics. It's, the game has changed. So they see these two kids. One of them, um, you know, was, was in, uh, played soccer. The other kid, during COVID started a tutoring business, an online tutoring business. You know, the chances lean heavily that they're gonna go to the kid that started the business because they're looking for a good fit on their community. And this kid is showing drive, grit, uh, innovation. And so again, it's, it's all about standing out. It's like, the, the beauty of, of being born into um, the internet, right? It's, it's like everything is, is discoverable. Everything is permanent. We can't hide. So it's, again, put your best digital foot forward. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned that example. Um, there's something else in your book, which I thought was really intriguing. You put a chapter, I think, on empathy. And I want you to talk a bit about that uh, for us. Yes. So it's interesting. The first iteration of, of the book, and this was a chapter of the first book, was directed at parents. And I came this close to a publishing deal, had a literary agent, uh, came this close to a publishing deal. Height of COVID, and the publisher came back to us and said, listen, we, we love this idea, but the timing is not right. We don't know, are kids going to take a gap year? Are they even going to be in college next year? Plus with George Floyd just happening, they wanted to focus more on social justice authors, which I totally understood. Put it on the back burner. It's the best thing that could have ever have happened. And the, the point is, is that the George Floyd was, was laying so heavily, like in my heart and soul. And so I had written a chapter on it. And I also realized like, do kids, do teens, do parents, do they have empathy? And is this something that parents are teaching their kids? Because 
and I spoke to a, an empathy expert. Empathy is not something, believe it or not, that we're born with. It's something that we're taught. So besides these digital leadership classes, I would love to see an empathy class taught in high schools. And it's really a skill that you can develop. It's like, it's not a virtue you have or you don't have. It's like, you can go, you can grow capacity for empathy. And I, so to be able to understand other people's feelings and perspectives are more important than ever. So there's actually a couple of empathy exercises and there's, there's also, um, uh, you know, volunteer resources for kids. And I think, you know, when you look at it, we all know community service is really important for teens, but I want them to pick out the opportunity that resonates with them, that they're passionate about. Not that, not that they think they should be doing or that their parents think they should be doing because it has to be more meaningful for them. You and I both know when, and I know both of us have given back a lot when we do things that are, are meaningful, it's like, I feel like, like it's, it's a gift to me equally. It's so rewarding to be able to, whether the word is like pay it forward, but to allow, to give the gift of, of you or your, your expertise to, to someone else or kindness. And so for me, it's been youth organizations and mentoring women throughout my career. And, and I know for you, a lot of it has been entrepreneurship, but probably many other things as well. So it boils down to, empathy also boils down to, my tip is find something that really speaks to your heart and you're passionate about, because that is what is going to develop your empathy. And empathy is not necessarily in your DNA. I'm so glad you mentioned that. And it's something I try to teach my girls. And uh, I hope I hope I'm doing an okay job, but it's something that uh, is so important. We can never teach our kids enough empathy. So I'm so glad you included it. This has been a great conversation, Stacey. I so appreciate you doing this. Before we conclude, uh, start our wind down here, I like to ask, you know, just give us some some tips, just just one thing as I like to call them. So let's start with, can you give us one or two tips uh, that can help kids stand out as they're making their way through the admissions process? Absolutely. I love to, um, to see kids, and I coach them on this, develop their own website. So, um, by the way, I actually coach parents, my, my business partner who has who has two young kids and she was struggling with, with the name of one. I said, look, before you finalize his name, just make sure the URL is available. So get your URL and no matter what you're doing, if, if you're in sports, an artist, um, anything, it doesn't matter. Build your own website. I love video. I love kids telling their narratives through video, but it's also like, like show don't tell. Like if a kid is, and we just spoke about empathy, if a kid is doing great work for a local food bank, like show pictures of, of yourself, like, like giving out food or, you know, like, like sh show this aspect of, of yourself. And, and again, it's, I think 
kids need to just do things different. I'll share another one with you. I even tell teens, and this is for you also, and for me, and for anyone, but the email signature line, that's a great piece of real estate, right? So you're sending a thank you to admissions officer. Use that piece of real estate. Maybe put your LinkedIn. You could put a photo of, of yourself in maybe with one of your, you know, a t-shirt with one of your causes. A again, think differently. Think differently, show up differently. But again, it's got it's gotta be who you are. I so love that because you control your own website, right? Yes. No, no one yes. else can impinge on it. You yes. Know, like on social media, you know, no one could bully you on your own website. You create right. and you uh, curate it and you build on it and it represents everything you want other people to know about you. Yes. And, and look, you never know how it's going to evolve. Like I knew in the early days, because Stacey Cohen is, is a common name, that I I purchased my URL. I can't begin to tell you how many Stacey Cohen's have approached me to ask me if they could buy the name. But it's also the same reason that I changed my name for the book and my branding purposes to Stacey Ross Cohen. So people would be able to find me um, online easier. Oh, wow. Interesting. Okay. So that's for kids. What about just one thing for parents to know about their kids on social media? I, in my first book, I had a full chapter on sharing and that's what comes to mind first. Parents, believe it or not, are the first ones that create their kids' digital footprint. So think about it. The mom goes for a sonogram. She starts posting it on Instagram or Facebook. So my question to parents is that, first of all, you and I both know kids aren't going to listen if you say, do this, don't do that on social media. But you need to be a good role model. You need to be a good role model. So I always tell parents, it's not until I spoke to you, there's actually a sharenting expert. So there's a term called sharenting where parents share about their kids. You need to ask your kids for permission. I will never post a photo or anything of my kids without asking them for permission first. This is their digital footprint. It's not mine. I love that. Oh my God. That is so important. Such a great reminder uh, for parents. Okay. This we, have been... to be, we have to be role models. Sometimes, you know, it's like, like my kids will put away their cell phones like during dinner. And sometimes my husband and I will, will like, you know, will get a text and, and, you know, they'll be like, you know, why are you always on your cell phone? And you know what? It's, it's like, We've, we've dialed down over the years, but be a good, and I'm guilty of it myself, but be a good role model. None of us are perfect, but be a good role model. Great advice. Great advice. This has been a, a wonderful and important conversation, Stacey. We usually end with a, a quote or a saying or a poem. What would you like to share? So I'm all about manufacturing opportunities. I'm not going to read you the whole poem, but it's, it's, um, it's an oldie, but a goodie. It's by Burden Braley. So let me, I don't know it by heart, so let me just read it to you. 
the best race hasn't been run. The best score hasn't been made yet. The best song hasn't been sung. The best tune hasn't been played yet. Cheer up for the world is young. For the best verse hasn't been rhymed yet. The best house hasn't been planned. The highest peak hasn't been climbed yet. The mightiest rivers are in spanned. Don't worry and fret, faint-hearted. The chances have just begun. For the best jobs haven't been started. And the best work hasn't been done. And that's my poem. Yay, that was great. What a great way to end. Thank you so much, Stacey. This has been wonderful. Thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please like it, leave a review, and subscribe. See you soon.